You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. A Murph. Are you okay with that? No, Brian? I don't like Murph. At, or I like Murph, I love Murph, but no, the Murph. That's yeah. a little too pretentious. Yeah, that's got to go. Medcalf and Murph. Or Brian, I wish your name was Byron, so he could go Myron and Byron. That'd that, be great. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. We can change his name. Well, then I'd be we hitting 188 on the radio every day. <laughs> have fun, guys. And hey, we got a lot of baseball talk here. Filling in on Mackie and Judd. We'll talk about the NBA awards and more here next. Round. It's went high and deep toward left field. Span going back, and that is gone. Big fly for Mike Trout. Angels on top, one nothing. Myron Metcalf, Brian Murphy here, filling in for Mackie and Judd. Who's Mike Trout? Mike Trout is this guy that apparently baseball fans don't know, know enough about. Casual fans, I, I heard he's good, very good. Historic season, but not enough people are talking about baseball. We're going to dig into that and more in the next hour. How do you fix baseball? What's wrong with baseball? Can it be fixed? That's the big question it seems like everyone has right now. And I'm uh, wondering. Oh, no, we're still supposed to yak. Yeah, you're yakking. Yeah, here. we're still yakking. Yeah. What does ail baseball? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Mike Trout is doing something we might not see for, what, 50 years? If that. Like, this is a guy who, at June 27th, is already up to 23 home runs, 48 RBI. This guy has a 46% on-base percentage. Look at right his now. OPS. OPS 1.118. That he, is that is astronomical. These are ridiculous numbers, right? Ridiculous numbers that for me as a kid in the 90s, every day I'd want to know what Mike Trout was doing. I'd pick up the paper and say, what did he do last night, Dad? That, that would be how I would try to track him. Box but score? Today, Were you a box score guy? Definitely a box score guy. But Brian, baseball is down. Attendance, the worst in 22 years. Uh, the numbers are troubling for a lot of people inside the game. They're trying to figure out what to do next. How do you fix it? I don't know. We talked about this uh, before. I some of the pro- most of the problems are systemic. What you have, uh, and when you're talking about pace of play, in particular, we could talk about the marketing aspect of it as well. But when you're talking about the games dragging on, the average time of a game, but more importantly, what's going on within the game? You've got hitters who basically are paid and paid very well to do two things at the plate. Work a count as deep as they can and get into a full count stare down. Yeah. Uh, swing for the fences, especially if you're a power guy. And it's acceptable to strike out nowadays. Yeah. Which is which it used to be an embarrassment as a hitter to strike out. Now, that's eh, just, you know, that's part of doing business. Yeah. And these things are all bogging down the pace of play because as Bob Nightingale pointed out in his great column last week, the average time between balls and play right now is three minutes and 45 seconds. That's, fo- That's almost tough. four minutes of dead time. That's tough. And, and you're not going to get little Jimmy who's used to pulling up everything on his iPad instantaneously to become more interested when you see numbers like that. Uh, also, strikeouts uh, are on pace to outnumber runs, which I think for the first hits time. Too. Hits, I mean, hits, I'm sorry, for the first time, I believe. And that's obviously a, a problem. Twins fans know what that's like. They're dealing with that with their favorite team. But I'm just not sure that if you overhaul this game and try to make it like a video game, which I feel like that's part of the problem is we're so used to flash and we're so used to 
everything being a home run. And if it's not a home run, then it ain't baseball or it's not fun. That, to me, takes away from a game that's been around for far more than 100 years. And it won't resemble the game that people are used to seeing. And I think you'll take away some of those significant fundamental elements of the game. Like, at what point are you going too far trying to change some of these pace of play problems in order to please fans? At what point are you making baseball no longer baseball? That's my concern going forward. People, A lot of people argue that the uh, proliferation of shifts, defensive shifts, where you have basically infield stacked against one hitter, a left-handed hitter, a right-hand hitter. Now, the shifts have been around since, you know, the the, the start of the game. I mean, Ted Williams it notoriously had guys shifting over to the second uh, base side to try to take away his his hitting alleys. Do you ban those? And if you ban those, where does it end? Do you ban uh do you do you ban outfield shifts? Do you ban yeah. Uh, uh, being able to you know uh, move move runners along at a various time of the game, but what I'm what I'm concerned about is these problems are are baked into the game. You know, you have players that are paid to basically bog down the game. Yeah. And now, if you strategy and that's data driven. I mean, that's that's thrill. That's Moneyball related. That's been coming for 15 years. Now you have these young executives who are making their money and making their bones by uh, supplying these these numbers that prove out the fact that if you do shift X amount of times, that will take away a number of hits. It's good for your team at that time. Is it good for baseball overall? Clearly not, because people are reacting to that right now by not coming. And that's the, the great challenge, right? It, if it's my clubhouse, and I'm going to do the things to win. That's what I'm getting paid to do. I, I, I'm not looking out into the stands and saying, okay, what do I have to do to put two, 3,000 more people in the stands every game? That's not my job. That's that's up to some marketing team that ain't got nothing to do with me. But that's essentially what we're asking these guys to do. Hey, can you change the rules so that this becomes a more fan-friendly game? But the entire point of baseball is it's built on strategy. And like, deliberate action, yes. And, and there's an element of patience that is unlike any other game we see. Unfortunately, in a social media, Twitter era, people want everything to happen fast. And when you're watching the NHL and you're watching uh, NBA and you're watching the NFL and Bob Nightingale uh, talked to him yesterday when I was filling in on Spain and Fitz, he said, that's the problem. Baseball is fighting for its place in the hierarchy of professional sports right now. And he feels like this is sort of a, a doomsday scenario. We might get the biggest drop in attendance in baseball in 22 years. And let's not forget 22 years ago it was coming off the strike, a very debilitating strike that cost us the World Series. Now, people were angry then. If they're th- if the if their indifference is matching that, it's crazy. That's t- it is terrible. But Brian, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, smartphones are c- come out, iPads come out and all of a sudden attendance just makes that drop. We've been in this era for about a decade now, so something is happening right now. Like something's happening in the last couple of years that's making people go, you know what? I don't want any part of that. And it's sad to me because there are people missing out on a guy like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and some of these other guys who are putting up historic numbers, but I guess it ain't sexy enough. And that to me is the unfortunate part. Because you got to wait four minutes for, for Mike Trout to do something between pitches. Yeah. And if four minutes is, let's say four minutes is too much. I think most people agree with that. But what's the solution? How do you speed it up? Okay, you speed it up to three minutes, right? Now you're rushing a game that's not meant to be rushed. You don't want to bake the cake too quickly. It ain't going to be the cake, right? And I feel like that's what they're asking baseball to do. Go up do and everything. hack. Go up and hack. Do you have to work every count to three and two? Does every does every hitting confrontation have to be 10 to 12 pitches? 
you know, with with four foul balls. Hey, if I'm a hitter, I'm battling. If yeah. I'm a hitter, I'm I'm taking in these pitches. I'm letting my teammates know what this what this pitcher's got. Uh, I'm I'm working. I'm making hit pinch counts. Of course, they're such yeah. a big deal. That's huge. I'm making him work. Uh, I'm showing. I'm I'm. He's putting all his repertoire out there for all of us to see. That's my job as a hitter, and that's what I'm getting judged on, yeah. and that's what I'm getting paid to do. And that's the, again. How do you, as you said, how do you unbake that cake? But as you said earlier, there are people who are much smarter than me who are plugging in these numbers into whatever formulas they're working. And they know what works and what doesn't work. So it's not like... And they're, they're getting wor- paid handsomely. 100%. They're not working the count and doing these things just because they want to slow the game down. Nope. There is a strategy in all this. And my fear is if you do all these tweaks and you change the game and you eliminate the value of that strategy, now, in my opinion, the teams that don't have four or five guys, big hitters like the Yankees or, or the Astros... Now you're even at more of a disadvantage because some of those strategic elements are the only way to level the playing field. Some of those strategic elements are the only way to balance out facing a team that has that many stars. Now you're putting the advantage even more in the hands of the Yankees and teams like that. And I just think that's unfortunate. I like baseball in part because I feel like most teams on any given day can compete. They can't beat the Yankees nine out of ten times, but maybe once or twice I'll take it. If you eliminate all of these strategic possibilities, it's going to be 10 out of 10 you lose to the Yankees because it's all going to be about the physical element and power and these other elements that I guess we're trying to get more of to make it a more TV-friendly game. Well, you're also saying, too, the the, the power and the, the actual strength. These baseball players are in better shape today than they've ever been. They're yes. top-notch athletes, right? Yeah. Mike Trout, 5-2 a player. Byron Buxton, despite hitting 188, I would go to pay watch him play center oh, yeah. field. Oh yeah, uh, that is being that, those attributes though aren't being marketed or exploited well because everybody's talking about how they're sitting there waiting for a play to happen, waiting for the batter to get in the box, waiting for the pitcher to get on the rubber, waiting through a 12 pitch at bat so somebody can hit a ground ball into a shift that's ultimately <laughs> going to produce another out. These are you got a lot of people in front offices that have, the front offices have been loaded up now with analytically driven smart people, very smart, who are who are finding ways to to put their teams in an advantage that didn't exist twenty years ago. But in doing so, the unintended consequences are it is ruining an entertainment product, and ultimately, baseball is still an entertainment product. It is. So it's not like you can ignore these problems. You can't ignore what Bob Nightingale is talking about. Uh, strikeouts, outpacing hits, and pace of play. You can't ignore those things. But some of this strikes me as the guy who wants the speed limit to be 80 miles an hour, and as soon as it's elevated, there are five crashes that block you on your way to work. You wanted it to go faster. You wanted to speed everything up, but now you're now not. There's mer- now there's mayhem. <laughs> exactly. So my challenge is I think everybody wants it faster, 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 and that may not produce a better game it might produce a messier game it might produce a rushed game and all of a sudden the flip side of that is going to be people saying wait a minute this game isn't as smooth it's ugly things are happening too quickly what do you want tell me what you want because i think if you cater too much to fans because brian sometimes fans don't even know what they want right true but be be very careful these are the paying customers you got to take into account what they're demanding true but if you rush the game to a point where it gets ugly and messy and, you know, are we going to get more strikeouts? Already with this pace, strikeouts are on pace to outnumber hits. If you speed this thing up, 
Are you going to have more strikeouts? Well, like, you're going to compel batters to swing more. Now, whether yeah. they're going to miss those pitches or not, because they're always going for the launch angle and the home run, that could be a problem. But if you are t- if you are cattle prodding hitters yeah. into actually swinging the bat more earlier in counts because maybe the strike zone's a little bigger, yeah. maybe the umpires are compelled to call a, little, a few more strikes uh, than they had been, are you going to tick it up to the letters as opposed to the belt-high fastball? Um those are things that could motivate, but they could also have unintended consequences as well. We don't know because we're in this era where the, the baseball's not even throwing ideas against the wall. The caretakers right now are kind of hunkered down because I don't think they have any idea yeah. what they can do right now. And it's it's a scary situation because baseball in itself has dealt with this in the past. 50 years ago, 1968, Bob Gibson put up a one, 1.12 ERA. Don Drysdale had 50-some shutout innings. Denny McLean won 31 games. What did they do? They lowered the mound. Yeah. They immediately lowered the mound because they wanted to increase scoring. Scoring had been down forever. That worked to a certain extent. They brought divisions in. Uh, there was expansion, and then you had a little bit more of a watered-down pitching scenario. That worked 50 years ago. I don't know if that kind of tweak works 50 years later, that slight tweak. They're talking about lowering the mound. They're talking about limiting games to seven innings. They're talking about deadening the baseball. Why would you want to bring it back to 1920? Yeah, you know I, nobody wants to see uh, a mush ball hit by Ty Cobb anymore. I mean, yeah. I, I still love home runs just as much everybody as everybody does. But if that's all you're getting from an action standpoint, the game is losing something. It, the game has serious issues, and and I mean, pace of play obviously is an issue that has to be addressed. And Nightingale's column points that out. I, I guess my point is, be careful what you wish for. I'm afraid we're going to end up with no more umpires, just some robot behind the plate telling us what to strike and what's not. I'm afraid we're going to tweak the game to the point where we don't even recognize it. We're going to talk more about this in the next hour about the Twins and how they factor in all this right here on Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. No! no I got no, you. Now! I need it now! Yes. I can't wait. Mackie and Judd. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. Barrios is on a roll. He's got five strikeouts. There's a breaking ball and another strikeout two down. And then the high fastball to finish him off. Myron Metcalf, Brian Murphy here, filling in for Mackie and Judd. Murph and Metcalf, is that... Metcalf and Metcalf Murph, and Murph. Others, but not the Murph. The hell with Kenny. I can't, I just can't yeah. deal with that. So, yeah, the hell with Kenny that. in general. There are plenty of Murphs out there. <laughs> I am not the only one. We have been talking about you know what ails baseball right now, and there have been some great tweets that have come in. Bill Felberg says baseball fields need to have their fences moved out. Cheap home runs scare pitchers into nibbling and encourage hitters to lift the ball. Braden Brunberg said, "I've heard from some people that it has nothing to do with pace of play, but that it in fact." It's the cost of attending a game and a price of and the price of concessions. Which yeah, that's it. That's certainly that a separate argument sense. to make, and that does make sense. It, it, it all makes sense, and we would love to have some callers six five one six four six eighty two fifty five or eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. We're talking about what's wrong with with baseball uh, right now. Bob Nightingale, USA Today, put out a column where he says, for the first time ever, strikeouts are outpacing hits. Uh, also, you know, people are waiting almost four minutes. Essentially, once the ball's in play, it's there are a lot of crazy things. The biggest thing is that we have the worst attendance drop in 22 years, uh, if this holds. 
So there are a lot of things we're trying to figure out. Now, the weather's changed. School's out. That's always the age-old argument yeah. that it might tick back up. But, boy, I don't know. I mean, the attendance is way down in Toronto, and they had a retractable roof. So it's not as if, you know, it's just the weather here. Yeah, it's. I mean, there, there are a lot of elements. Twins fans understand this very well because, clearly, they're watching a product that has not been great. Uh, they're watching a product where people have been injured. Key players haven't lived up to the hype. We've been talking about Sano and Buxton and to me, you want to point to problem A and problem B in terms of what this team could be. There it is. I mean, Sano, you could argue, obviously, it's an effort thing. I think that's been the big thing with him. Buxton is, you know, I don't, my problem with Byron Buxton is that it's not a problem with him. Here's what I'll say. I think we coddle him. I think we treat him like he's our kid brother. Who, Why would we do that? Well, and so no, we make fat jokes about, right? Yeah, that's convenient. Like, so the, the idea that, so no, we sent him off, you know, to single A ball, like he, he was sort of this outcast from the community. How dare you, how dare you come into spring training overweight? How, how dare you struggle at the plate and not duplicate what you've done in the past? And he was a running joke. He has been all season. Buxton, you ask anybody about Byron Buxton. They'll say, give him time. How much time do you give him? Like, this guy was drafted in 2012. He wasn't drafted two years ago. How much time do you give a guy? And I understand, and I sympathize with, you can't control injuries. I, I understand he's that. he's had some unlucky ones. He's had some unlucky, <clears throat> serious injuries. But, Brian, at what point do you look at a guy like that, whether it's the problems at the plate or the problems with injuries, and you go, you know what? We got to lower our expectations of what this guy could become because – I don't know if he'll ever get there. Well, this was the season that was supposed to be that that measuring stick, right? Yeah. And then he fouls a ball off his foot, and it's they rush him back, and it gets worse. He's coming back from a rehab assignment awfully quick here, uh, or you know, yep. very soon here, right? It's the end of June. Yep. You got about a three three plus month window here to evaluate him. Obviously, the Twins eight games out right now are fading fast. Cleveland's one 12 game winning streak from burying everybody and ending any speculation that they're not going to repeat as division champs. I think this is the I think this is the window right now. I think there's a lot at stake for Byron Buxton because everybody knows he can he can vacuum up everything in the outfield. He's fearless as far as running into walls. Yeah. I, I as I said earlier, I would pay. I, he's worth the price of admission to watch play center field, but it's counterweighted with he's hitting 188. It's counterweighted with the fact that he's not drawing walks and he's overmatched at the plate. Um, as a major leaguer, he's overmatched, and yeah. you know he's hitting the ball hard in AAA, but he's still hitting under 200 there. I, I read the quote about him hitting the ball harder than ever. I don't care. It, is he on base? Is he getting hits out of it? Like, I don't understand why we treat him with these kid gloves. If we were in New York City right now, and Byron Buxton had the career that he's having here, and struggled at the plate, what would happen to him? He'd be roasted. Every single day he'd be roasted, right? And Molitor with him, right? I just feel like Buxton is a guy, if you look at kind of what could be, what could have been, there are a bunch of issues with this team. But had this guy found a way, found a rhythm at the plate, which just hasn't happened, I think we'd be talking about a different team. It, and we're still waiting for some miracle. You know, there are people saying when he comes back, okay, if he gets healthy, how many times do we say that before we go, you know what, this guy just is a bust compared to what he was supposed to be. He's great in the outfield. You cannot, he has, he has God-given gifts 
in the outfield, which you just can't duplicate. He can do things that most human beings should not be able to do. But that's not baseball. It's it's can you be a versatile player? Can you do things at the plate? Can you impact the game in a variety of he ways? He needs to be on base. He can't if he's not on base. So how long do we wait? I, I'm I'm not willing to give up on Byron Buxton yet. I'm really not because I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because of these ugly, sort of sad, uh, unfortunate injuries. All that being said, I want to see what he can do in this next three-month window because we, we saw what he could do in the, the, the very back end when the Twins were contending last year after they'd sort of sold off after the deadline, late August, September. Uh, Buxton revealed his potential. The momentum for that has not been able to carry over. What's he going to do between now and the end of September, especially when the Twins are definitely fading from from contention? With Sano gone, he's going to be there. You know, is, is he going to be at the top of the order? Is he going to be at the bottom of the order waiting to get on base? Why are we so quick to criticize Sano without hesitation? I mean, without hesitation. That guy, that guy people say, didn't put in the effort. Obviously comes in the spring training overweight, has had a lot of problems that we think are based on if Sano wanted to, he could. And I, I think get that's that. it. I think it's because most people view his problems as self-inflicted. And, and I get that element of it, Brian. I really do. But I feel like Sano, if he decided right now, I'm going to get a trainer, I'm going to get focused, and I'm going to rededicate myself to the game, I feel like he could find what he's lost. With Buxton, he's never had it. Like what? What are we waiting for him to find when he's never had it? Like, like where are we expecting him to go? That's my problem with Buxton. Is you like, don't think what he did at the second half of last year? I don't know is if it's real worth value. It's valuable. I don't know how real it was. Like that's my problem. Is he's gone back to what I thought he always was, which was a guy who just can't hit. And what I saw in that flash was great. I didn't think it would last, and here we are again. So with Buxton, I wonder if we're. We're coddling the kid, a guy who we go. One day he'll he'll figure it out, and when he does, because we know this, Brian, if he figures out those problems at the plate, we're talking MVP level kind of player, right? We're talking about a guy who can. Yeah, be, well, I, that's boy, that's a pretty. Uh, I'm not saying right away. Statement. Yeah. I'm not saying right away. I'm saying build into that. I mean, if he really figures it out, if he doesn't, you got a one dimensional player who does help you, but not the way we expected him to. So what do you do with that? How long do you wait? If, if he doesn't show up in these next three months, how would your perception of him change? Yeah, uh, it would it would change a lot. I think maybe maybe then the cake is baked and you figure out what you have in him. But man, he's he's also a guy too where you can just see if they somehow let him go, and he goes somewhere else, and he gets a new change of scenery, he's going to flourish and he's going to make the Twins pay. Uh, this is one of their most valued and um, long term homegrown project. Well, not long term, but People have been talking about Buxton for five years, yeah. And to to to, to watch him either be dealt away, which I don't know what his value would be at this point anyway. Although a lot of teams uh, could see that upside defensively, they'll yeah, he's yeah. got value. Yeah, i I want to know. I want to know this three month window between now and the end of the season. A, can he stay healthy? Yeah. B, can he get above two hundred? And yeah. C, when he's on base, is he making a difference? Yeah. I uh, a couple years back, I, I went uh, to a golf pro who took a couple lessons, golf lessons, right? Uh, taught me a lot of different things, worked on my game. After these lessons, I was really confident. Then I went out to play my first 18. I still stunk, 
Okay, you know why? Because I just stink. Because that's who you are. I just stink. That's just who I am. You can tweak anything you want to tweak. You can tell me anything you want to tell me. I am who I am. My fear is that's what we're dealing with with Buxton. It's not he goes to a different team. It's, it's not, not health. It's not Mahler. It, it's not you know new hitting coach. It's not the injuries. It's It just might not be there. And we might be watching a guy who is what he is. And if that's the case, and if that's what we learn here over the ne- these next three months, then you got a serious decision to make. A, a really serious decision to make because that's not how it's supposed to be. Whereas, call me crazy on Sano, but I feel like if for some reason, and I know there have been a lot of problems and people speculating, he just doesn't have whatever the motivation you know, whatever you need to get back, he just doesn't have it. Well, I think single A demotion is is was the, supposed to be the catalyst for that. I hope it is. I'm more confident that we'll see Sano get back to who he was than I am in Buxton finding a rhythm at the plate because like, he was an all star last year. Sano because yeah, he put together I, I, a more sustained. Uh, I'm more confident in that streak. I think we're closer to that than Buxton all of a sudden being a consistent hitter, and, and that's troubling to me. That's frustrating because I thought right now I'd be watching a guy who was going to grow into something special. A game changer. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm jealous of my friends who, you know, have Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and all these other guys, these phenoms they've been watching over the years. I'm jealous of that. I thought we had that here. I thought that's what we were working with, but now I'm not sure. It's not just those two players. I mean, that's who we've been focusing on. It's much bigger than that for the Twins. But I look at the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm from Milwaukee, and I'm not saying this because you know I'm, I grew up with the Brewers, but they're in first place in a division that has some heavy, heavy hitters, and and big spenders on top of it, you know. So it's not like you can say everyone's small market and everyone kind of is dealing with the same. The Cubs will spend a billion dollars if they have to, if it means they're going to win. So they're dealing with a lot of the same circumstances as a small market team in Minnesota. What's the difference, Brian? The Twins are playing in the most horrific division in baseball, and they can't get any traction. What's the problem? I mean, it's been wide open. Uh, 350 miles apart. They have not played their entire, their full lineup once this season. Yeah. Uh, Three weeks before spring training, Irvin Santana goes down. Yeah, that was was hard. But we were told early May he'll be back. Yeah. Well, it's late June, and he's still still pitching live BP down in Florida, right? Yeah. Uh, we find out in spring training, Jorge Polanco, their yeah. shortstop, one of the most important positions on the field, test positive for steroids. Very selfish. Don't do that, kids. Yeah. 80 games gone before they even take the field. Uh, Joe Maurer suffers concussion symptoms. That was bad. Uh, your starting catcher, Jason Castro, granted, not a wall banger in the lineup, but a very solid dude and a very Consistent, good yeah. and a very good handler of a pitching staff gone to season ending knee injury. You have Buxton's broken toe. You have Sano's issues. He pulls a hamstring and misses twenty five games. These are all built in excuses. The twins aren't using them, but we are now seventy five games, almost eighty games into the season. The twins have not fielded their everyday lineup once. Yeah. Can Mala to use those as excuses at the end of the season? Yeah, I think he can. I don't know if he will. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if management's going to care, but he's been dealt a hand right now that what's he supposed to do? I mean, when you're, when you're let, when the left side of your, your defense the other day is air here, Adrianza at short, Taylor Motter at third, Oof. Robbie Grossman in left, and shading over from <laughs> center into left, uh, into left center is Ryan Lamar. They the Yankees. Definitely at the Yankees. No, and, well, We'll see if they figure it out. I mean, there's still, I think, some potential, but things aren't looking great right now. We'll be back here on Mackie and Judd, Myron Metcalf, Brian Murphy. 
Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. You know what they need? Tweaks. 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 On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey. Out of shape, overweight, and as I continue to say on this show, he doesn't take it seriously. Judd Zolgad. Judd is simply getting old, crotchety, and jaded about sports. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Meyer Metcalf, Brian Murphy, not the Murph. Don't call him the Murph. Whatever you do. And don't ever put an S in front of it and call me a Smurf either. Ooh, don't, I, yeah. I got some battle scars from uh, childhood on that. Well, I'm Myron, and I get... Like when I go to a coffee shop, it's everything but Myron. And people try. What do you I, mean? What, how do you, how Byron, is it pronounced? Byron, Myron, uh, Brian, I get. I get Marvin. I get Mervin. When you say Myron, they don't spell it M M Y R O N. It's basic. They, I don't as know it what is. they hear. They hear everything but Myron. I had a guy when I worked at the Star Tribune who called me Medford for about seven years. I don't think you ever learned about that. And he worked there? Worked there. No, it wasn't Sid. A co-worker. Sid, Sid called me whatever shirt I was wearing. Hey, hey, purple shirt. You know, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't. He never knew my name. Hey, uh, Mr. Purple shirt. Best Sid Hartman uh, story for me. I used to sit next to him at every Gophers basketball game. Mm-hmm. Four years straight, Sid sits, sits next to me. You know, he always brings his ice cream in. And one day, he's going to go up to get his ice cream. And he's like, hey, kid. Always call me kid. Hey, I, 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 can you get my wallet? So... I'm thinking it fell on the floor or something, and I'll go grab it for him. I'm sure it's Sid. Where is it? In front of 14,000 people, Sid bends no. over and is pointing to his back no. pocket. It's right there. I'm like, um, Sid, I, I want to do it, <laughs> but I don't think I should. Because what if I don't get a grip right <laughs> yeah, away? There's just, there's just a lot of reasons that this could go. This does not look good. Think of a fan in the upper deck. He just happens to glance down, and he sees a young man with an old man bent over in front of him, and he's digging in his back pocket. Being robbed. Security, security swarms. I don't want that problem. It was, it was kind of awkward, uh, but I still love Sid. Um, last night, the NBA awards were on. I think TNT, right? Sounds about right. Um, Red carpet. First off, do we really need an award show? Yeah, we do. NBA awards. Well, I mean, everybody's doing it. I don't know who started. Uh, I mean, maybe the maybe it. hockey did, but there was a, a rap artist Travis Scott who performed. If you could have seen the looks on Oscar Robertson and Kareem and these old school dudes as this rap star who who's performed, like it was it was hilarious to see that. Like they're like, why did I come here? What NBA? Grandma and Grandpa sitting this? in the front. What? It's like Grandma and Grandpa at the wedding. Oh, it's you know, look at all that loud and lascivious <laughs> rock and roll. What are these kids listening to these days? Well, how about Bill Russell though giving Barkley the finger? You see that? I did not see yeah, that. Barkley, Barkley, you know, honored him, said, "Hey, we're thanking Bill Russell," and and Bill uh, did his trademark. Not a fan. Well, he's just like that. You know, when he when people thought he had that heart attack uh, about a month ago. You know, he was in the hospital and people thought he had heart problems. Really, he was dehydrated. And he he tweeted out, yeah, sorry to alarm everybody, but my friends and family all know, you know, I don't have a heart. (laughs) Has he become that crusty? I think think he's always been. I think he was nasty with the Celtics. I mean, I don't remember anybody telling a lot of warm and fuzzy Bill Russell stories. Did he always, I mean, his championship pedigree speaks for itself, but did he always feel underappreciated with Wilt? Well, he dominated Will. I mean, that was the thing. He, yeah, he did. He got it. 11. You know, Will Chamberlain told a story. He said, you know, what does your friend think about Michael Jordan? And he said, well, my friend has 11 rings. Michael has six. 
He doesn't feel anything about Michael Jordan. He's talking about Bill Russell. You know, like, come on, you got 11 rings. You can do whatever you want. But he was at the award show. Uh, James Harden of the Houston Rockets won MVP, which I guess that was the regular season award. Regular season award, which doesn't make sense to me because it should be a full season award in every single sport. The MVP should be decided at the end of the postseason. But they do have postseason MVP awards. But maybe that's the problem. Like, we judge these guys and we award them contracts and we stamp their legacies according to what they do in the postseason. Yes. Like 20 years from now, we're not going to be talking about what the Houston Rockets did in the regular season. We don't care. We will not care. Unless you're winning 65 or 70 games. But those teams at least went on to win championships, Mm -hmm. right? Like if, if the Bulls had won 72 and not won a title we might be looking at that team like the Buffalo Bills or some other team that fell short of expectations. And Golden State as well, yep. So um, we judge teams according to championships. I don't know how many games the Rockets won, but James Harden won MVP. Even though he wasn't great in the postseason, LeBron was clearly better. But it's this whole thing, Brian. We don't want to give everyone the MVP you know, every single year, the same guy, because, you know, that would hurt other players' feelings. Like, Michael Jordan didn't win MVP every year because people thought Charles Barkley had a better year in 92-93. Get out of here. Well, it goes, it goes to the age-old definition of what is valuable. What Nobody is knows. Most, it, it's been that way for since baseball came out with the award in the early 50s. What does it mean? Nobody knows. What does it mean to you? I think it means if with if without this player, this team is not relevant. This team is not uh, and and I know this this annoys people because people say, well, it's not player X's fault that he doesn't have a supporting cast around him and his team isn't in contention and his team falls off the falls off the map. But no, I say if if this player, if you were to remove this player from the lineup from the roster, then Team X would not be relevant. Yeah, Dave, what does it mean to you? What's the, what's the definition of MVP? To me, it's contribution to winning i guess okay to an extent so I mean, the team has to be good the team, team has to be good and again that goes good. to the yeah but i mean you can also draw a line the thing i find humorous about the whole mvp discussion the last two years last year russell westbrook averaged a triple double yeah well he's a took every single MVP. shot yeah i yeah. mean come on he's got to be the mvp yeah first it's a big old to do it well guess what he did it again this year and no one gives a crap no one cares yeah he, he, no one cares. it was good enough last year but no he won it last year so it's got to be hard this time it's right it's his turn he won lebron i saw the, a tweet i don't remember who sent it out statistical categories uh comparing lebron versus uh harden this year points minutes assists oh rebounds everything, everything. Went to lebron except for shooting percentage which or maybe it was three point shooting percentage whatever it was it was uh, exactly even we don't even know we don't know what it means I think we can all agree that it should mean best player to some degree. Like, the best player should at least be in the running every year. But then that should be player of the year. Isn't there a definition for player of the year? But aren't we, aren't we, or just call it the best player? Aren't we saying that though? Like, we don't, we don't look back. Most valuable is what opens it up to interpretation. But but even if you go back in baseball and talk about Aaron and Mantle and all, that wasn't MVP. That was, they're the best player in baseball, right? I mean, that's what the awards. I wasn't were. there at the time, but if you look at, uh, I mean, I'm old, but I ain't that old. If you look at, if you look, I, I would love to look up Henry Aaron's MVP seasons. I bet you at least one of them, if not both of them, are when they won the pennant in '57 and '58 in Milwaukee. Uh, Mantle. I mean, the Yankees were winning the pennant pennant every year, but it, how often is a, is a play, you know this would be something we could look up, or we should have looked up beforehand. How many MVPs in any sport? have been on teams with losing records? That's a great question. Probably probably not many, 
right? I'm assuming that the number has to be very small. Assuming not many. I mean, I, I'm sure Barry Bonds, you know, during his historic tainted but yeah. historic season. When his I don't head know blew the, up like a. I don't know if the Giants were in contention that year or won that year. But I feel like you're winning in part because that player is that good. I mean, so that's the element too. Is like, yeah, they're they're the best player on on a good team, but. They're on a good team because of their presence well, look in a at, lot of ways. Well, right? okay, the flip side to that, look at Mike Trout. He's going to put together a historic season, yeah, and the Angels yeah. are awful. Baseball's harder, though. There's, there's just more elements in baseball that make it, especially in this era, more difficult to make that kind of an impact on a team. Well, basketball, completely different. LeBron made it to the finals, right? LeBron and, like, it was LeBron, and, and dragged Kevin Love. And dragged the Cavs with him. Uh, J.R. Smith and, like, two of LeBron's cousins or something that I think they found... <laughs> Just before the playoffs, right? Like it was. It's literally you look at that Cavs bench, and it was just dudes, like dudes who you won't remember by Christmas. You won't. You you won't be able to tell people who are the top eight players on the Cavs roster in the finals. And that's you won't a, be able to say. And that's a strange thing. By any definition, LeBron was the most valuable and the best. Exactly. <laughs> but he didn't get it because yeah. it's a whole. People love to switch things it's up. Not in his MVP turn races. anymore. Carl Malone wins the MVP over Michael Jordan. Are you crazy? Charles Barkley won it over Michael Jordan. Are you crazy? But was that the year the Jazz went to the finals? It was, but he wasn't better than Michael. He wasn't more valuable than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan leaves the Bulls, and after they win three titles, they don't win any more titles without him, right? Although Scottie Pippen almost took them to the finals uh, in 94. But he comes back, and they're back in the finals winning championships again. Isn't that the very definition of most yes, valuable? Yes, absolutely. But they give it to Carmelo. He's a generational player too. Give it to Carmelo. Well, who's voting? Is it writers who votes? Right. Well, I think different sports is different groups, but I think mostly writers in most MVP races, I believe writers are are doing the voting. I I know that in baseball and I know that in hockey because I used to write uh, NBA do it in hockey, but I don't know about the NBA. The NBA is, a, is writers and they it, vote in early exclusively. April. Writers do it, okay. um, and I just don't think you have to. You don't have to switch it up to be different. Like LeBron James should have more MVPs than he has already. You know, uh, Michael Jordan could have had more. Like it's just amazing to me that people look at things and go, "Well, let's let's do something different." For the sake of what? Like it's about competition. If they're the best competitor, give them what they're what they're due. You know, and I think that's. That's always the frustrating part. Will that help mitigate the fact that it is a, you know, what, four franchises are in, are in contention every year in the NBA? I mean, that's a completely different argument, but it, it, it goes to the fact that, you know, there's, there's a small bit of haves. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of have nots. Yeah. But Throw like, hard in a bone, and it acknowledges the fact that, hey, Houston had a very good Houston year. Houston did have a good year. To your point earlier, Trout will win it by a mile, right? He should, at least well, based on what he's oh, putting he up now. If, if he doesn't, then I'm going to march up to the Major League Baseball offices and figure out how to change this whole thing. But then that, that flies season, in the face of my argument is the fact that he didn't help the Angels into contention. But did he not help them, or is it that the Angels have too many holes in the boat and it's not just about him no matter what he does? Like, I feel like you have to look at baseball differently. What he is doing is one of the most remarkable things we have seen in baseball. And right. no one knows about it. No one knows about it. He has to win MVP. Like he, he has to win MVP. But if he does, we're also saying he's the best player in baseball. Like that's what that award means. I feel like in baseball more than any other sport. I could be wrong, but I feel like MVP is. Then it should be renamed. Yeah, because I just think when you say most, you know, again, this is an age. This is an argument as old as time. What does most most what valuable mean? mean? What should it mean? 
Like, forget about like what we think. What should it mean? Like, David, what should it mean? I've always been in the opinion that it's the you know player with the biggest contribution to their team winning games. Yeah. That leaves it a little, you know. Well, it sounds like you need a lawyer room. to interpretate that. Well, and interpret it does, that. and that, that's, that's kind of the fun. That's why we get to have the conversation. Everybody then gets their own definition. Because that's fifteen Whereas words. You, you what did you just say? Can you say that again? Do you even remember? Player how to say with it again? the biggest contribution to winning for their specific team, I guess. It makes sense. I want to know I what mean, people think about this. You want the best player, but there leaves some wiggle room for maybe the second best player if the best player happens to be Michael with Pippen, say. But then, I, like then I don't think Trout wins it. Well, Brian, what should it mean? What should it mean? I, I just, I, I personally think it's what should the, mo- it mean? the most valuable player. Okay, should be a player that elevates the rest of his team. Into, so Mike Trout wouldn't Kenshin. win. So Mike Trout, is, by my very Mike definition, Trout is he not your, win it. He's not your MVP. He wouldn't win it right now, based on that definition. Mike Trout is not your MVP right now. Yeah, and I'm going to have to die on that hill now. <laughs> it's not. It's it's no. It's fine. Trout no, 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 it's not. Murph. It's not that. It's not that. It's just. It's fascinating that we all have these different perspectives. For me, best player, best player in any any league, anything. Six five one six four six eighty two fifty five. Give us a call. We'd love to keep talking about this. We'll be back here on Mackie and Judd, Brian Murphy, Myron Metcalf. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Man, isn't this the greatest? On 1500 ESPN. <laughs> now, back to Mackie and Judd. I'm ready! Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Get Minnesota United match reactions plus MLS news straight from the team every Tuesday on the Adrian Heath Show. And tonight... Adrian Heath and Jamie Watson will be a live at the local downtown Minneapolis for a live Adrian Heath show broadcast from 6 to 7. It's presented by Heineken. Come watch the show. Talk soccer with the guys. Win prizes and more details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Welcome back to Mackie and Judd. Myron Metcalf. Brian Murphy. Uh, we were just talking a lot about MVP and what it means. Uh, Matt Shida, I think I'm saying that right. Shida, Shida says, a big fan of the show. My favorite MVP interpretation is if all players were free agents, which player would get highest dollar value contract for a one season title run? I love that because that shows that shows how that, much man. the team values you. Yes, that's exactly how much the team values you, that's and that's what the market values. So that's that's a pretty good measurement. That's a beautiful interpretation. I, I really really enjoy that. Um, NBA awards. Interesting. Jamal Crawford won teammate of the year. Ex teammate of the year. Yeah, is he a teammate still? Is he? What team is he on? Is he still? He's on he? the free agency team. Yeah, he's, he's on, on the opt out team. Did he stay with that team. team he loved, or did he? He didn't, did he? Okay, but he took the high road on his way out of town. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Dwayne Casey and. Hey, everybody. You guys know <laughs> I got fired, Casey. right? Dwayne Casey. They can't stop giving him coach of the year awards after he gets canned. They can't. They can't help themselves. They're like. It's like the Carl Malone year in the MVP race. Like, we got to give Dwayne Casey another honor for being swept by the Cavs for the second consecutive year. Come on, Dwayne. Come get this new trophy we just made up. And good luck in Detroit. Yeah, that's a fun place uh, for nothing. Um, What I thought about during the awards was who, who is the most likely candidate on the Timberwolves roster to be represented at the NBA awards in the near future? After after Jamal Crawford, of course, he was teammate of the year. Like who who is on pace to end up in a conversation uh, at the NBA Awards? The easiest answer to me feels like Carl Towns. Yes, considering what he has become, 
considering he's getting a lot of love now around the country. I don't know if anybody saw the ESPN body issue, uh, but Carl Towns posed for that. And uh, there's been some controversy from some former Kentucky fans who think he revealed a little too much, uh, I guess. It is called the body really? issue. You don't really? have to read it. Yeah, there are people who people people will get upset about anything. Like that's what I've learned. It's like no matter what, people will find a reason to be upset. But any woman that poses in that, there's no issue whatsoever. Oh, th- that's the to thing. Dudes, I don't yeah. understand. Really, it's just intimidation. I don't know if anyone saw Greg Norman in the Holy body issue. Crap. Greg Norman recently. Brett Bryant. Greg Norman looked like Schwarzenegger in his prime. Like Greg Norman. Greg Norman right now is buff. Go, go, you gotta go. No, you gotta, you gotta find it. All right, Murphy, you gotta find it right now. Greg Norman looked like he looked in his forties. I've never seen a sixty-three-year-old man in that shape, except the dude who does the infomercials. Um, you know, what I'm talking about the the. The biogenics dude, you know, the, the dude does like those Jack one. Jack Lame? Is that what we're no, thinking? No, no, because oh, Jack. He's dead, isn't he? Yeah. Jack is, and Jack was all like fruit smoothies and stuff. This dude is like biogenetic dude, and he's kind of bald, and he's like on a boat. Of all of his commercials are like him on a boat, and he's like 70, and he looks like a bodybuilder. All right, I see him eating the shark now. Yeah, I'll give yes. you that much. <laughs> like, those are some guns. Greg <laughs> Norman has abs of steel at 63. Little bit of flab on the rib cage, but hey, man. Hey, 63. I'm not nitpicking. Yeah. Greg Norman would beat you up. Like, that's that's where Greg Norman is right now. He is so ripped, so cut. Um, but, yeah, Carl Towns is in the body issue. I think he's the next candidate. I think he's the most likely candidate to. Well, he's a big man, and big men aren't really dominating uh, the headlines anymore in the NBA, and he sort of has a window of opportunity to sort of be that next dominant big man. Yeah, he does. And I think the most promising element of what Carl Towns did last year was he made 42% of his threes. I mean, the big man is changing. It was only 10 years ago where Roy Hibbert was a first-round pick, and some of these lumbering big men, uh, Pekovic, uh, he, he was a big man in that draft, in the 2008 draft. And I know injuries cost him more than anything, but it's amazing how in a decade we've gone from that to the Carl Towns, these athletic 6'11", 7-footers who can move and do things that like we've never seen before. And, and Carl Towns, to me, if he stays healthy, feels like a great candidate um, to, to do that. I mean, he have we, by the way, just sort of deleted Anthony out of the conversation, Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, I don't. I feel like we has he. Does I don't he know. Like I don't know. I, I I I've always known the hyphenated version. If we I tell had you a, what, has there been a press release out on uh, David? Is he Carl Anthony or is he? He's still Carl Anthony to me because you get cat with the A. Good point. You can't have. You're right. You can't have cat without Anthony. Yeah, you do. It's just it's just rare to have that. I, I always Carl to Towns. His name. Carl Towns sounds like a uh, Carl Towns like an adult. Like, Sounds like a somebody in police academy or something, right? <laughs> like Carl Towns. That said, Tibbs only refers to him as Carl. You know, press conference. Uh, Carl There's so many was, names. Uh, he had a good, uh, good game. <laughs> Somebody named things Tibbs, right? I mean, does he go by Tibbs? You think? With I'm not comfortable as a member of the media calling him Tibbs. I don't like know how to feel about that either. either. I don't know how to feel about that either. Tibbs feels like I got to be your friend, and if if you don't make the playoffs next year, it's going to be kind of frosty. In some of those press conferences. But Carl Towns, Carl Anthony Towns, crazy numbers 21.3 points per game, 42% of his three pointers, 86% of his free throws. He can do it all. And there's a lot of talk about Andrew Wiggins. Do you trade him? What do you do with him? What's Jimmy Butler's future? 
I think Timberwolves fans miss the big point sometimes. The number one thing that matters is Carl Towns keeping him in Minnesota and building around him. That's the future of this franchise. Jimmy Butler may last. Who who knows what he's going to end up doing when he has a chance to sign another big contract. He may join some of his friends around the league and one of their super teams. Who knows? Andrew Wiggins, you might have to trade Andrew Wiggins before February, before the deadline. Like, I don't know who's going to take that you contract. You're offload that kind of contract? Well, you got to find somebody else who wants to offload a similar contract. Um, but, I, you know, by February he could be gone, depending on what happens. But Carl Towns is the centerpiece of a team and could be for the next decade, considering everything that we've witnessed from him. What did his five-game performance against Houston reveal? Well, I, I personally think it revealed the pros and cons. I, yeah. mean, I think it, I think it revealed that this guy is, was he 23, 22 at this point, I think? 22. 22 years old. He's 22. We, You have one of the best players under the age of 25 in the entire NBA. Like, I think if you had a draft right now of players under the age of 25, and you said, okay, you're starting a franchise, you can pick one of these players. Towns, to me, is second only to Giannis in Milwaukee. Antetokounmpo. Is that how you say Antetokounmpo? whatever you, you know how to say his name. The big Greek. Uh, he's only second to him, to me, if you're going to start a team. Like, that's how good Carl Towns is. If, even if you open it up to, okay, we're going to have a draft. Right now, you're, you're an NBA owner. You can pick whoever you want in the NBA with the first pick, right? You're going to have LeBron and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and James Harden and Anthony Davis and those guys. Is Towns in the top 10 in that? He ain't outside. He ain't outside the top fifteen. I mean, you're not you're not picking him outside the top fifteen. So I, you know, I really think he is certainly uh, because of his upside. Yeah, too. on his way, I think to becoming the next guy who represents the team at the NBA Awards. Next on Mackie and Judd, Michael Jackson will explain soon. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Coffee break. Better hurry if we want to get a seat. On fifteen hundred ESPN.